Hello, everyone. Rev Brad here, and you're listening to Soccer Chaplains United's podcast from the Touchline. Today, I'm joined by Kim Beach, who is chaplain to the Trinity International University men's soccer team. She joins us to be on the podcast for the very first time and share her story of how she became chaplain to this college team north of Chicago and the amazing and unique journey God has had her on as a woman, a wife, a mother, and now as a chaplain. So stay tuned. We'll hear her amazing story right after this. a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post not strong enough with his right hand whips that one in far post almost made him in and they have he has the hat trick the second in his career the third of the night the hat trick hero talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure to the corner goes towards the near post and you're the angle and what a goal what a goal Well, hello, Kim, and welcome for the first time to the podcast. This is fun Good to have you. Good morning. I'm excited, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, Kim, um, I, I, this is the first time you're here. So, so sometimes what I like to do is tell people a little bit about who you are and, and what you've done. And I think your story is one of the more unique stories. Uh, and, and your resume is one of the most diverse resumes of all the Soccer Chaplains United Chaplains. And and I just want to highlight a few distinctions, and then I want you to talk. I want you to share. But um, first, you're right now. You're our only collegiate chaplain that we have right now. Um, second, you serve a men's soccer team at Trinity International University outside Chicago. So that's an interesting distinction that we'll get into. Um, and then you've got an amazing life story that um, I think we could spend two or three podcasts actually on. But um, I want to hear you share uh, a little bit about your life story, but I want you to include uh, what it means, uh, what it looked like to be mayor of a town in Oklahoma. And, you know, you spent some time in Colorado, and so there's a little bit of connection there for us. So, yeah, Kim, would you just share a little bit about your your life story with us right now? Sure. I think I'm definitely one of the last Renaissance women, uh, meaning I have a varied educational and vocational background. Um, But I just see it as being blessed to have had so many life experiences. And I believe every experience prepared me for where I am today. Um, I was born in West Texas, an only child. My parents were ministers. Mm. Um, And then we moved to Oklahoma. I graduated high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, then literally went across the street And went to the University of Tulsa, um, married my college sweetheart. We've been married uh, 29 years now. Um, And uh, I've been able to teach school. I've been a nanny. I've directed musicals. I've homeschooled my children. And I was in politics in Oklahoma. Um, On 9-11, I was sworn in as the mayor in Kiefer, Oklahoma. And now Kiefer is a small town off Highway 75, south of Tulsa, kind of a, a town that the highway passed by. But it oh, wow. uh, is the location of one of the original oil pools in Oklahoma. It had the distinction of once being called the meanest town east of Cripple Creek, Cripple Creek, Colorado, just because of all the violence that happened. Uh, but they were just good hardworking rural families just loving each other. Um, then in so, 2000- so how did it how did it get to be that you became mayor of that town? Because that I, I don't know. Like sometimes I think, <laughs> oh, maybe maybe I'll get on the school board or I'll I'll do something. But how how do you become mayor of a small town like that? Well, we have a uh, joke in our family that when something happens, they'll say, "Uh oh, mom's going to write a letter," and that's what <laughs> happened. I wrote a letter to the city council about these horrible potholes on our street. And um, the f- next thing I know, I'm getting a call from a, a councilman. Can I come by your house? So I'm like, okay. Um, and he says, I have an opening on the board. Would you consider serving? And I am a firm believer of if don't complain unless you're willing to be part yeah. of the solution. Yeah. So I went on the board, served on the board um, for a couple of years, and then they, um, when it was time to elect a new mayor, they just put me on. 
Um, wow. I'd been working with some highway projects and um, new post office facilities. And so I'd been really involved and they, it just seemed like a next logical step, I guess, for them to have me go so, as mayor. So, so share a little bit, Kim, about being sworn in on 9-11. Cause I remember where I was on 9-11. I was starting my seminary education. It was convocation. Mm-hmm. The president of our school uh, came in and started his speech by saying all active duty and reservists need to report to their battalions. And a third of the student body literally got up and left the little chapel where we were gathered. And I was going, Lord, what what's going on? I, I've just kind of left everything to go to seminary and now the world's falling apart. What what did it feel like for you to get sworn in on that day? Um, it, that was... Um those are very distinct memories of that day. Um, I had picked my children up from school and taken them to city hall. Um, and I remember so vividly standing outside the police station. I had my daughter on one hip and my son was leaning against my leg and I'm watching, um, the lines at the two gas stations stretch for miles. Mm. And I remember thinking the world will never be the same. And although um, I was acting mayor during the day, I was sworn in that night, but during the day I had to make um, decisions to like shut down um, the town for protection. And a major gas line for the United States ran right through Kiefer and it would be a prime terrorist target. So, you know, we, we closed the high school campus told them to keep everyone on campus. Uh, we got the gas lines, um, people through on the gas stations and then got people home and then getting people out of the schools, getting everybody home safe and taking phone calls from federal agencies. And, and it was so surreal. Hmm. Um, and I can remember standing in the police station watching the second tower fall. Wow. Um, I, um, that, that's a hard, those are hard memories. I lost a lot of my police force. They were reservists and they went um, and served um, and came back, you know, forever changed and how we worked with them, putting them back into um, functioning back in the police force. It, it, that was a hard day and things you will always remember. And there's still a group of us that on 9-11, we make contact because we served that day together. Yeah, yeah. Kim, it, it, it just seems like for such a time as this, God, God put you in position mm-hmm. to serve as mayor in a season in which, you know, I, I don't know who else would have served or been a candidate, but he put someone with his eyes, his heart, his, mm. his desire into that place to see and to lead people in that time. So, wow, what a, what an amazing experience. And I, and I didn't want to just rush by that because, because as you said, the next part of your story leads you to Colorado and right. um, hearing that Kiefer is the meanest town east of Cripple Creek. Uh, uh, <laughs> did you guys move to Cripple Creek or, or where'd you go next? We didn't. We moved to Durango, Colorado. So southwest corner, back in the Four Corners area, um, little rural town. My husband was working for an oil and gas company there. And we had always wanted to move to Colorado. So it was really a dream fulfillment. So we raised our kids, you know, uh, hunting and skiing and hiking and camping. Um, I learned I can't ski. I can fall spectacularly like no one has ever seen in their lives. Um, uh, I, I, I'm best to stay on my own feet. Um, but I love four wheeling and the uh, trails in Utah and the trails in Colorado loved that. Sure. And sure. our family is very close. And I think a lot of it was just time spending together doing those kind of things. Would you guys do a lot of camping uh, in as a family? Oh yeah. Now we don't tip camp. They would have, but I don't. Okay. So we, okay. you know, we're travel trailer camping, but, uh, we did what they call dry camp. We didn't stay in trailer or in parks. Sure. We sure. hauled up to the top of a mountain and hauled our own water and everything and would stay, um, you know, anywhere from four days to, you know, a week and a half 
and, yeah. and we loved it. We, we, we're a tent camping family, but I can tell you as I get older that that trailer looks more and more mm-hmm. alluring all the time. Just having a firm bed under, <laughs> underneath your body when you lay down at night. <laughs> yeah, I not only had a trailer, I had my husband put in my own mattress into the trailer. Um, and they would tease me because before we get on a trail, I would have my helmet on and make sure my lipstick was applied. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess in case the paparazzi bears or something, were going to pop yeah, out. Yeah. Um, where, where did you guys do most of your skiing or, or most of your falling as you put it? Was it Wolf uh, Creek pass or no purgatory purgatory. So okay. we were up in Durango at Durango mountain resort. So, um, yeah, my daughter learned to ski with the adaptive sports association and we were really involved with them for a, a number of years. And, uh, and that was fun. And my son and husband would go ski and she had a partner she skied with and I would volunteer for adaptive sports and clean restrooms or file awesome. paperwork. Um, so th- that was really, it was cool. We liked, yeah. we really enjoyed that. Yeah. Everybody asked me about, you know, how much skiing I do in Colorado. I actually grew up in Arizona for most of my childhood. Mm. So I didn't grow up here. And, uh, and then I moved to Michigan and so I didn't learn to ski. So I'm not a big skier at all. So, uh, I'm, I'm more like, Hey, uh, I like warm weather. So I love Colorado though. So, but, um, Kim want to transition on a little bit and hear, um, some of your faith story. How did you, you know, come to know Jesus and and at what point did did he become um you know central part of your life and um you know yeah just kind of share with us a little bit about that journey for you I have never known a day without Jesus in my life and that's not always a popular story to tell when we have conventions or youth conferences, we'll bring in speakers with um, a very dramatic story of um, finding faith after drug use or an injury. And those are great. Those stories have their place. But I think we fail to tell our young adults or our teenagers and, and our young kids that the same God that delivered someone from drug abuse can keep you from drug abuse. Mm. And I think that is so important to hear. Um, I have met teenagers who felt they had to find their testimony and that led them to rebel in some ways. And I'm like, no, that's your choice. You don't have to do that. Um, I, and not that I lived a perfect, holy life. Um, well, I you were made, a PK, so. <laughs> I was a preacher's, I was not only a preacher's kid, I was a preacher's grandkid and oh, niece wow. <laughs> and cousin. Um, I, but I'm a product of generations of Christians who chose God. Mm. So far back that my mother's family came to the Appalachians in the 1700s as missionaries with the Wesleys. Wow. So sharing the gospel is literally in my DNA. Then, and God has blessed me and I and I sit in that blessing um my college years I did my own little doubts um and struggled but my mom prepared me for some dark times and she would say that God has no grandchildren so I had to struggle and find my own faith and that made me stronger as well that I knew what I believed. Even when I made a mistake, I knew there was a loving father who forgave me. And I'm very thankful for that, that one statement. God has no grandchildren, mm. only children. Mm. And you have to come to faith on your own. But, uh, I think that's maybe while I'm drawn to college ministry, um, when I was having a tough time in college, there were very specific people who made sure I made it, who invested in me. And, and not always in a Christian way. They weren't always Christians, but they took the time to make sure I was going to make it. And I like that I get to do the same thing with others. In, you know, Kim, you just said something that, that really struck me as that um, not only from your own story, but realizing that those college years are, are typically, um, in the church world, a lot of the 
church studies have come out saying this is the time when when people either solidify their faith or they make a departure from the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know different people will blame different things, education system or teachers or uh, school or or philosophy or whatever it is. But um, I remember one of the athletes that I was serving a number of years ago, and I asked him. I said, you know, what's the difference between a chaplain in your life and some of the other, you know, campus kind of things that you can go to. And he said, well, you know, I, I used to go to those campus ministry kind of things, but, but they didn't walk alongside you in those moments. And, and as he was talking, that really stirred in me this, this desire to say, man, if we can have people um, in these settings in collegiate settings, especially where, you walk alongside of, you are with uh, those young men and women as they go through some of the difficulties of, of life, whether it's figuring out what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to study? What will I be? Will there be a job for me later? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and all, and then, and then, you know, compound all the different things that the world throws at them or, or that goes on in the world. And I just think what a special calling that you have to come alongside, um, people in this, in this crucial stage of life. And, and some of that from your own story, even. Right. And we began working with college age ministry in Colorado with master plan ministries. So master plan is totally in Colorado. Um, they're based out of Durango. Um, Russ Akins is the director. And one of the things I learned in working with them is that the church really fails the college age at high school graduation, we give you a Bible, we shake your hand, and we the church doesn't do anything with you really until you go to get married. Yeah. And when you get married, we'll have premarital counseling, and we will do a wedding ceremony, and then, oh, you've had a baby, I want you to serve in the nursery. But those formative years where they're making their life decisions that will affect them forever, we're not walking with them. And, um, and that was, um, that was a, a hard realization for me that there's this huge pocket in, in so don't blame, uh, society for, you know, a college age that doesn't know Christ when the church isn't walking with them. Yeah. Yeah. I I've had some of my, my single friends as well say the same thing. It's like, there seems to be this gap where the church just doesn't it's not relevant. It, it doesn't know how to talk my language. It, it has one agenda. It has one idea of what the ideal is, you know, have, start a family and, and then we'll serve you and your kids. And, um, so yeah, I, I'm thankful that, wow, God's really prepared you to take on this, this ministry at Trinity. Mm-hmm. I, I feel very, um, honored to be where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in, preparing for today, it made me really reflect on some of those experiences that brought me to that. And especially seeing how people in my life, in college, uh, the impact they made. Yeah. Well, that's not the only way that God prepared you for doing ministry. Um, He prepared you through even some of your own experiences with your family as well. Can you share some of those with us too, Kim? Sure. You know, um, my husband, I is, I credit him for so many things. And uh, when we were dating, I told David um, that at 16, I dedicated my life to ministry. I didn't know what that meant, what that looked like, how that would um, pan out. Um, but to his credit, he took a couple of weeks, met with godly men. He prayed about it. And he, I didn't scare him off. He came back and said, okay, I'm in. And... Um, sometimes I ask him, if you'd have known then, would you have still signed up? You know, and, mm-hmm. and he's always, yeah, I'd still do it. Um, we've had defining moments, I guess I would call it, in our life. Um, Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, calls him a crisis of faith. In that God is either God or he's the biggest lie ever perpetrated on mankind. Mm-hmm. We have always found him to be God. Not that he moved the way we wanted or answered the way we wanted, but he was so faithful. Um, we, we started um, married idealistic, you know, and that we'd be married so long and then have children. 
And then we struggled with infertility. And um, after five years of medical procedures and prayer and frustration and and hormones, um, we decided, nope, this must not be what God wants. We give it to God. We walked away from it. And then nine months later, we had our son. Hmm. And then we were surprised two years later with a daughter. So we seemed to have this perfect family set up. Um, We owned our home. We had very little debt. We had a boy and a girl. Everything was healthy and happy. Uh, And then um, the unimaginable became our reality. Um, Our six-month-old daughter suffered a major stroke. Hmm. And from that moment on, our entire life was flipped. Um, Nothing was as we had dreamed. Our life became filled with doctors, therapists, surgeries, um, medications, drug studies. Our son learned to count by the buttons on the elevator. He learned his colors from color-coded hospital hallways. You know, my daughter's first steps were not to me. They were to a therapist. And we celebrated. You know, it was not what we expected, but God was faithful. And time again, we'd, we'd have a huge medical bill and there would be a miracle God provided for it to be paid for. Some miracles we didn't even know for a decade later. So we found out that like um, her neurologist had been writing off all of her costs because our insurance didn't cover him. EEGs, uh, Botox injections, appointments. He had just written off. He eventually became a Christian and does medical missions now. You know, that's an amazing redemption. Um, So we, we had our daughter going on and then, um, I struggled with depression, and I still remember the day that God literally delivered me from depression, and it was like a spider web being pulled off my body, and I was just like, God, I can't live like this anymore, and he just healed me. That's faithfulness. Um, there was a surgery that almost cost my life, and um, I remember laying in bed and realizing I am dying. And I started quoting uh, Psalm 118. I will live and not die. I will live and not die. And Mm. David tells that he couldn't hear what I was saying, but he could see that my mouth was moving. And as I got stronger, I started out loud saying it. And then I added, I will live and not die. And I Mm. will declare the works of the Lord. And that's what we've done as a family. Um, We call it intentional living, living outside of ourselves, seeing who needs us and declaring what the Lord has done to whoever puts in God puts in our life that day. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've shared, I remember that part of your story that I think that struck me powerfully that, you know, from the hospitalizations and from just that whole journey and trial and pain, a lot of your, there was some of the calling that began toward chaplaincy and Mm -hmm. some of it from your experience, um, in the hospital and, um, and some of it just from some of the people that you were around through that time. Oh yeah. My, I would say the, the seed for chaplaincy was planted uh, when I was uh, much younger, pregnant with my son. I was the marketing coordinator for a rehab hospital and I had the privilege and honor of serving with my uncle who was the hospital chaplain and he had graduated Oral Roberts university and so how cool he is probably one of the most influential people in my life. And our offices were across the hall from one another mm. and to sit with him and watch him and listen to him. And, and uncle James has gone on to heaven now. And I know he is um, ecstatic with the seeds he planted here, still being sown and, and seeing a harvest. And um, so I knew about a chaplain. And knew what a chaplain was more than just hospice. Most people think chaplain, someone's dying. Mm. Um, we were a rehab hospital in that people were getting better. So he was walking with them through tough times, but sure. to be better. And then, um, so that was in the back of my head. And then um, we were in Durango at a football game one night. 
and a player was injured. And now, I now just to be clear, this this ocean. is American football, right? This is American football. This is yeah. <laughs> most of our um, listeners will be like, okay, was this a soccer match or a football no, match? <laughs> this would this would be uh, you know pigskin football match, and uh, this player was put in the ambulance and taken off. And this poor family was left on the sidelines. They didn't know what to do. Hmm. There was no one talking to them. And I turned to my husband. I said, they need a chaplain. And I went, oh, I haven't thought of that in years. So Hmm. um, the next week, I began pursuing what would uh, obtaining a chaplaincy look like. So I uh, pursued my ordination with Chaplain Fellowship Ministries. And to me, my logical place to serve was in hospitals. Um, that's yeah, that's where, where that's where most people go, right? You and know, that's hospital, where most of my army, yeah, yeah, that's where most of my life was. Um, so, so before I continue with the story, I want you to know my daughter is our daughter is now twenty two. She's amazing. Um, she does wonderful things. She's in her third schooling with YWAM Youth with a Mission. Um, so I, I want to put that out there before I say she's gone through 18 surgeries. Mm. So I have lived a lot of time in a hospital. Yeah. And when we started this concept of a fam- as a family of intentional living, we saw time and time again, um, uh, where God would open doors while we were, um, at children's medical there in Aurora. Mm. For us to share with others the hope of Jesus Christ. And medical chaplaincy was a fit. And I am so glad I had that uh, experience. Um, I'm still the first line of defense of anyone is sent to the emergency room or (laughs) an ambulance shows up. It's called Kim. She knows what to do. Um, so I've spent a lot of hours in hospitals, uh, with other people as well. Sure. Um, Sure. But that experience allows me to bring a piece into a hospital setting and explain what's going on. So there's not that fear. Yeah. I, Um, I found that too, just with my hospice experience. And then when, you know, you have athletes and coaches and people that don't typically spend time in a hospital unless they have, uh, you know, maybe a surgery, but, when you're able to be in there and be at peace and not freaked out by medical alarms going off. And I mean, I can't tell you how many, I I've just learned how to even silence some of the the machines that (laughs) you learn the redundancies that are built in and you just go, okay, we can just hit this button and this, this alarm will go off. And if we really need something, the nurse will be by in a minute. Anyway, you you just learn some of those things in, in part of your visitation and process. So what what a great gift that you can bring uh, to people as you as you walk with them through a difficult place, and I th- I think as right. chaplains, especially um, working in sports and in soccer, you know our athletes, our coaches, they they will go into those times when they face a hospitalization or a rehab or recovery, and uh, to be a peaceable presence is is pretty key. Uh, during that time. So, so Kim, you've, you now have kind of grown into this unique calling to be chaplain for Trinity International University men's soccer team. And, uh, you know, I, I've shared with you before, this, this is really a unique situation, not one that's typical. Um, in fact, I, I used to get a lot of young single guys. They would ask me all the time, Hey, does the U S women's national team need a chaplain? (laughs) And I thought, buddy here. No. <laughs> you're driving up you're barking up the wrong tree. That's not going to happen. And uh but the the thing is it's really unique is Trinity Trinity pursued you. They asked you to step into this role. Right. And then kind of in a weird way you found us at Soccer Chaplains United. But why don't you share with us a little bit about how this unique role, this sort of placement unfolded and and then we can get into, you know, what does it look like to serve the coaches and the staff and the players? Sure. When we uh, moved to Illinois, our son was a sophomore at Trinity University. He had been recruited by Patrick Gilliam to play. And um, just through some life choices, we had the privilege to move to Illinois. And while here, uh, I would host, 
I think we've hosted every sport players from every sport in our house for a meal. Mm -hmm. My son is the collector of lost souls and he brings everyone home and mom will feed you. Mom will have a bed. And so, um, we just took care of people. That's what we did. We were parents. And, um, so I would listen to them talk about their struggles. So I, I took a sports chaplaincy, um, course and I took a sports psychology course, just learning their unique struggles um, and I was talking about this, uh, sports chaplaincy class I was taking and the assistant coach at the time, Josiah Larson, he, um, I was helping them with an ID camp and he said, what are you going to do with sports chaplaincy? And I said, I don't know. I just know that whenever God's told me to do something and I'm obedient, he has a plan and I can trust it. So that was in June and in November, the university split the men and women's program and Josiah became head coach of the men's program. And he called me and said, Hey, would you join my staff as chaplain kind of team mom? Okay. And um, Josiah is a very intentional person. And one of the reasons he wanted a team mom was so many players today come from a single mom household. Mm. They know to trust a mom. Sure. So if they see me trusting coach, now they know they can trust him as well. So he has definitely set up a family atmosphere that you kind of have mom and dad and uncles and we all work together. Um, but also moms ask those tough questions you don't really want to answer. Sure. And a mom will call you on the carpet and you, yes, ma'am, her. Um, so that's been an interesting way to approach chaplaincy as a mom. Yeah. Wow. I, I think there's a, there's something to this that, uh, needs further exploration for sure. It's, it's this idea of uh, being mother to, uh, to people that you serve. I, I think, um, first we, we see that definitely as part of God's character throughout scripture, and to apply that towards chaplaincy, I think is is really a beautiful thing. So, oh, uh, what yeah, a great uh, insight from Coach to go, hey, I need team mom slash chaplain. And uh, right. what a great. Now, do you find that those sometimes are two different hats, or is it a hat you, that's kind of mere, you know, merges together well? Or no, I think it merges together quite well. Um, Lisa Bevere just released a book this year called Godmothers, and talking about. Um, not fairy tale godmothers, but mothers, godly mothers that God puts in your life to walk with you. Um, there are times when, like, if someone's under discipline, hmm. um, I'm a little bit more mom, and I have to make myself go, no, no, no. They need tough love, mom, not cookies and milk, mom. Yeah. Um, so I think. They don't see a difference. Sometimes I have to change my approach. Um, but it, a mom is such a life coach anyway. M motherhood and fatherhood are the only jobs in creation that if you do it right, you work yourselves out of a job. Yeah, yeah. Well, my goal is to make productive members of society who fly the nest. Yeah. And I will tell you, I grieve at the end of every semester with graduation because I'm launching someone new. And it yeah. lasts about three days. And then I'm like, oh, there's a new group. <laughs> um, so I do miss them. Then when season starts again, I'm like, oh, so-and-so would have been doing this, you know. But um, it's unique to see how God works your characteristics that you're really good at. Uh, I love being a mom. Um, and, um, my son would sometimes tell me I was mom too much, but now he doesn't mind because I got a whole team that I can mom and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that works quite well for sure. my son and my daughter. Uh, it, it's been interesting being the only female in the program. Um, when we travel, there are unique challenges. We were in Arizona playing at a, a university in the mountains and they had a, a storm roll in. Well, the players all went to the locker room. I didn't have anywhere to go. 
Uh, so I find myself knocking on the women's locker room. I said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm chaplain with the men's program. And they were like, oh, come on in. And <laughs> so I hung out with another team's uh, women's team. Um, and, you know, they were really nice, fixed me coffee, and it was good. Um, but, um, and I also carry my own weight. Um, we, I carry all my own bags. No one carries things for me. Um, not that they don't offer but there are some that they're going to challenge me. And when they see that I don't expect special treatment, there's a respect. Yeah. Um, and I'm there in the rain and the cold. And mm-hmm. um, I haven't been at our night practices this year, but I, I just can't do 15 degrees. Yeah, that's, um, that's a bit so, cold. That's, yeah. that's a bit cold for, for sure. Um, there's been plenty of times I've stood out in the rain and endured, endured something, um, although not in uh, shorts and a, and a Jersey, but um, Kim, you talked about gaining and earning respect and trust. And um, I think you've, you've earned that. You've actually got a little special title amongst the team and some of the players that I know um, that they call you share a little bit about that, that title and and how kind of that came about. Well, when we were deciding what to call me, uh, Chaplin beach was, way too formal and (laughs) Kim was way too informal and um, back when I first started teaching even in high school when I was teaching Sunday school um, being from the south they put miss in front of everything so was Miss Kim Um, now I have a few who call me mama some who call me mama beach and some call me mama Kim but there is um, in the first meeting of the season when the parents are present I hard and fast tell them, you may not call me mama unless you ask your mother's permission first. <laughs> because a mama is a special role. Yeah. Uh, so mama beach is kind of how they get away from it. But most of them are Miss Kim. And I get that Miss Kim all the time. And uh, guys will text me and they'll start the text, Miss Kim. Um, and there's that, that level of respect and, and too, and, I just like, I like my guys. I really, there are some that they're not heads, but there are not heads <laughs> and I've seen them grow. And I just, I really enjoy them. Um, yeah. That yeah. seems so trite to say, but I really do like our players and I love my yeah. staff. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, I think that's the beauty of the challenge too. Sometimes our chaplaincy is we fall in love with the people that we serve and we, <sighs> God, God moves them on, takes them to different parts of the world and, and they're on different journeys. Um, some of them are closer to him and some of them are further, but I, I know there's special, special people that I've been privileged to serve through the years. And, um, and I just love them. And when we get together still, I, I, I just love to be around them and just pray, God, if they're far from you, would you use me somehow to, to bring them closer. And, um, so what, what a special and neat, neat thing for, uh, for the young men of the team to be able to have a second mama if, uh, if they get permission. (laughs) Yeah. We, we have a a joke in our, our department that soccer has four seasons. Collegiate soccer has four seasons. There's preseason, there's season, there's postseason, and then there's wedding season. And I love wedding season in that um, I get one slow dance with my husband every wedding and to slow dance on the dance floor and see all the other couples and all the players that we have um, helped impact. That's just, that's irreplaceable and, and help launch um, Christian families. And that's just so cool to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. You get it again, as you said, the, the task of motherhood, fatherhood is to launch, uh, to launch mm-hmm. children. And, and so, uh, you get to be an extension of that mom and dad. Um, because usually when, when our young, uh, children are going off to college, mom and dad don't go with them. That's, that's a, a rarity that that happens. And so yeah. you get to be an extension of, of mom and dad. So, so Kim, the million dollar question for me, maybe for a few uh, others, um, Chris, your son no longer plays or is part of TIU. He's gone on, he's gotten married, he's moved on in life. So why still do this? Why still be involved with TIU and, and why still 
do the chaplaincy? I mean, to me, I, I would feel like, oh, no, I'm going to move on to other things. I'm going to move on to uh, a, a new part. But for you, this is still part of your call and and, uh, and you're still serving. Right. I, I came on with the team as my son was leaving. So hmm. his last semester in college was my first semester on the team. So we, we just kind of transitioned there. And I, I would say I have a heart for athletes. I am not an athlete by any means, but I, I raised them. And I appreciate what they go through and the discipline. And we believe in the program at Trinity. We yeah. believe in where Coach Larson uh, is heading. We believe in the, his premise that he uses athletics to make men and women of God. He's not making athletes. He's, he's making servants of God. Sure. And sure. Um, I, we believe in that. My husband serves with the team as well. He does the, um, he works full time elsewhere, but he also does all the eligibility and walks the guys through the, you know, uh, play in AIA stuff. And, and so together their players are seeing a Christian husband and wife and a marriage. Uh, some of them have never seen before. Right. And it's, it's a unique calling for our family to be there. Um, and my calling was not dependent upon my son playing. He opened doors for me to be at the university. Hmm. Um, but we just believe in what they're, in what they're doing. And we, we know God called us there. We'll stay there till he says to move it elsewhere. You know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Kim, part of the reason of having you on the podcast for this week was TIU men's soccer is set to kick off this weekend. And um, uh, I believe this is kind of a makeup for not playing the past fall. Is that, is that right that they're doing the spring season here? Right. Chicagoland um, Conference moved their entire season to spring. So currently okay. at Trinity, we're running, I think it's eight sports in one season yeah it, it's a little exhausting taxing. yeah it yeah. is I, it has been uh, tough on the on the trainers um the staff everyone um yeah. but we're we're doing it we're making it work yeah well you, you just shared right there some of the challenges that the school and the and the team are probably facing but as you as you kind of look over and see this changed challenged different season ahead for spring um and and maybe we'll have you back on right before the fall season begins hopefully uh, uh this year but what are some things that you see uh, as a chaplain what are some hopes and dreams you have for the team maybe maybe some things for yourself as a chaplain some some things that you're you're hoping to uh to do in in the next few months um and and what are some of those things that that you just see ahead for TIU no, I, right now I, I dream of a season. <laughs> I just want us to play. Um, you know, imagine preparing your entire life for a moment and it just keeps uh, getting postponed. And that's that hope deferred that makes a, a, mm. a heart sick. Um, I, I, I do dream big. I challenge uh, our captains and leaders every year. Um, imagine being a team that other schools want to play because you play at such a level and an intensity that you make everyone better. Imagine that you are a team that if someone gets injured, your captains, your players go and pray for that person and they are healed on the field and play continues. And um, those are dreams that I have that we are playing so that we glorify God in all of his characteristics, in God as healer, as God as savior, that they see that in Trinity. Yeah. Um, I, I believe in those big dreams and I believe it, um, it can happen. 
that's feel I feel like that's a bit of a rambling. This is one of those edit moments, but that feels like a a, a bit of a rambling. But yet, I dream of a season where in the first meeting, players come to know Christ. Mm. And that they bring other players because Christ was so prevalent in their lives. Not that they were accepted, that they were loved. They knew that we loved them and they weren't afraid to ask questions about faith. Mm. That's what I dream of our program being. Not just our program in men's soccer, but we've been studying at the university how do we take uh, what we call trickle-down chaplaincy, where I pour into the staff, the staff pours into players, then players know they can trust the chaplain. How do we take that and we manifest it in every sport in our university? And not then just in every sport. How does every organization on campus have such an intentionality that we are this light in Deerfield Illinois, that everybody wants to send their kids to school because they see the change in our students. We are literally that light on a hill. Wow. Wow. No, that's, that's no ramble there. That's a, that's a dream and a vision that I think uh, captures the program. It captures you as a chaplain. It captures you as Miss Kim, Mama Beach. It captures all of those pieces that, um, I think, you know, as I listen to you, as you share your story with us today on the podcast, um, a full heart, you know, a full heart mm-hmm. for these these young men, their families, the coaches, uh, the others that are kind of connected in through the university system. And um, thank you so much, Kim, for coming on and, and sharing your heart today. And in mm-hmm. a minute, I'm going to ask you to say a blessing and a prayer, not only for the Trinity Trojans and for this weekend, but also, too, for collegiate soccer throughout the entire U.S., because a lot of a lot of schools, a lot of programs have gone through the challenges you've described through COVID and that deferred season, the the, the heart sickness that has happened. Um, we're watching suicide rates be be higher. We're watching mental health and spiritual health amongst um, athletes and coaches and the people we serve just be at all time. Uh, lows or crisis moments or, or difficulties, however, whatever kind of mm-hmm. metric you want to say. And so I want to ask you in a minute to kind of pray over that. Uh, before you do, though, I want to take just a minute and mention, you know, Soccer Chaplains United, we really want to help colleges, university, soccer coaches and programs find and develop a chaplain to serve their community and their needs. So if you're listening to the podcast today, you're an athletic director, you're a coach, Uh, You're a school alum and you think, you know, I think my school's soccer program, men's or women's, would be interested in having a chaplain or or maybe striking up this chaplaincy conversation. Please reach out to us at Soccer Chaplains United. You can find us at SoccerChaplainsUnited.org. We'd love to help serve you, your school, your institution in a way. And really, uh, my heart is to place a trusted, caring, capable chaplain like Miss Kim with you, with your team, with your college and university. And I, sometimes those, those institutions ask me, they go, well, do you do chaplaincy for the whole, the whole bit, the whole sports program? And we don't, but I say, Hey, look, it's easy enough. Just copy what we're doing. And, uh, and we, mm-hmm. but we'd love to serve and help in a way. So, well, Miss Kim, uh, would you close us with a prayer today? Would you close the podcast and kind of keeping in mind Trinity, but also the, the larger, broader U uh, S college system? Sure. I, I would cur- encourage your coaches listening to that. Um, and, and those listening, who want to be a chaplain. You don't have to be a soccer player to be a chaplain. I've never played a minute of soccer. Um, I've been hit in the head with many soccer balls, but, um, and, and you don't have to be young either. Uh, I started this career at 48 years old and God is not done with you. God wants to engage you and partner with you. Um, And so I encourage coaches, look outside the box of uh, where you think you might find a chaplain. You know, you might find a mom or dad sitting in the pew next to you at service on Sunday who would be a great fit 
with your yeah. program. So, oh, so let me pray for word. you all. It's a great uh, word. Yeah. Father God, I thank you. Um, I, I just thank you. Thank you for letting us work beside you at every age and in so many different vocations and different ways. And Lord, I pray that we serve you well with the people you have placed in our lives. Father God, open our eyes to those around us who need you. Open our hearts to ways we can share Jesus. Open our hands to freely give what is needed to meet people right where they are to show them your love. Lord, I pray for our students and our coaches and our staff members, um, some of those who've had no season, some of those who had a, a shortened season and those who are still dreaming of playing. Lord, you've placed this passion in their hearts for a reason. Lord, open the doors for them. Um, for so many of us who are, are practicing in these extreme cold, Lord, protect us, protect them from illness. Lord, I thank you for the way you've protected them from infections and, and you've uh, an injury. And we've just seen so many miracles. Lord, um, show your hand mightily that players uh, from other teams can say, wow, there's something different about them because God is protecting them. Lord God, give us courage to engage our culture right where we are. Give us cold, uh, courage to love boldly and courage to sit while you work too. I thank you for this team of chaplains who are serving athletes around the world and give this board and Brad wisdom as they grow our presence. Lord, open doors, Father. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord and the keeper of our souls. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. And we dedicate our lives to worship you and service, Father. Amen. 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 Well, everyone, thanks for joining us. This is Rev. Brad and Miss Kim coming to you from the Touchline.